So welcome to this week's edition of the Retech Podcast. My guest this week is Alex Jenoff. Now, Alex is the Head of Marketing Insights and Customer Research for Zappos.com. Now, an experienced customer research professional who applies his experimental social psychology background and his passion for research, design and innovation to solve an important customer and business problems. Currently leading marketing insights and customer research for the Zappos family of companies. Now, in previous positions, he was responsible for research and usability of products and services for companies like TurboTax, which is part of Intuit, State Farm Insurance and Active Networks. Now, it gets even more impressive because Alex has a PhD in experimental social psychology, 25 years of relevant experience, five years academic research, 20 years customer research in software. He clearly must have been about four years of age when he started to gain this knowledge. Areas of expertise are huge, including defining and measuring emotions, the psychology of individual differences, usability, market research, consumer segmentation. The list goes on and on and hugely impressive. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much, Paul. Pleasure to be here. What a wonderful introduction. I really like it. But then again, I wrote it. So yeah. uh, it's not like. <laughs> but do you know what? Um, as I do with all the guests, I uh, I Google them first as well. Uh, and and the sort of your own summary of experience and background is way more modest uh, than can be found on the internet. So there is a raft of uh, amazing things that your name is credited to. So uh, yeah, hugely pleased that you're able to join us. Thank you, Paul. You're too kind. So look, before we get into the day-to-day and your areas of expertise, I am fascinated when young Alex was staring out of the window at school with all of the things that you've now done, what 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 was the dream as a as a kid? What was the intended career? What 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 did young Alex actually want to do before you went down this impressive path? Great question, Paul. Um, I had a couple of dreams. Um, I grew up uh, at my grandparents' uh, home at the Black Sea coast. So I, I dreamt to be a sea captain at, at a certain age. Then a bit later in life, um, I got fascinated by Shaolin Kung Fu. So I wanted to go to Shaolin Temple and be a, a Shaolin uh, warrior monk there for a while. Uh, I, I gave up on the, the sea captain uh, bit uh, quite early on, but my Shaolin Kung Fu dream came true. I, I went to, I never became a Shaolin monk, of course, but I've been to Shaolin Temple three times now. Uh, so that took about 30 years, but it, uh, that one came true. But so I've got to ask, did you pursue the, the martial arts aspect as well to go with the visit to the temple? Yeah, yeah, I've been uh, I've been doing that on and off for, for a while now, but um, consistently in Las Vegas for the past uh Almost eight years. We have a real Shaolin master here in Vegas, out of all places, mm. and I've been training with him uh, for for eight years now. The one thing I know about the the US and particularly Las Vegas is everything is there. Uh, yeah, everything is there. is there, so you're in the right place. So, I mean, that's just super impressive and does not surprise me in the in the slightest. But so, give me a walkthrough of your career. You know, when you were first that first job if you like what was the thread that that took you through to to zappos i mean you know i'm fascinated thank you paul thank you um so my my journey of course was um growing up in bulgaria and then coming to the united states to study psychology that's what took me here 
um, and I was fortunate enough to 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 get accepted to get a scholarship at a at a college here, and then um, to preserve my uh, legal status in the U.S., I had to continue studying for ten years. I, I studied not because I really wanted to, but it was just a necessity to to get my degree in psychology. After which, the most obvious choice was going to be teaching. Um, but uh, at that point, I was so fed up uh, being uh, so poor for so many years that I said, I'm, I need to go and, and work in the industry. So back then, it was around the year 2000. I was doing online searches for, for jobs. Um, these were the early days, right? And I would put psychology in the search bar and, and usability started coming up as, a, as an option. And I looked it up. And there were jobs at Microsoft, Boeing, really good companies. And it turned out that usability was a very applied um, area of psychological research um, in terms of ease of use for the software industry. So I, I did um, get my start there and uh, worked for State Farm Insurance initially for three years. And then I was uh, lucky to work for Intuit for, for TurboTax. It's a... Uh, personal, it's a personal, you know, tax uh, DIY software in San Diego. <clears throat> it was a great company in terms of customer centricity and UX. Um, and then um, I worked for a smaller startup in San Diego that um, didn't have a lot of um, budget for customer research, but I worked with a really awesome market researcher who became a dear friend afterwards. And so that led to my position at uh, at Zappos, um, and I've been there for um, almost um, eight plus years. Mm. And so, just indulge for you know, I know Zappos, you know Zappos. For but for anybody listening, just explain a little bit about the business, and then maybe you know what you do as a on a day to day basis there. Sure, Paul. Yeah, it's it's good to to get uh, the history a little bit. Zappos is a unique, it's a fascinating company. It's a very unique company. It was one of the first businesses in the US to start selling shoes online. It started when almost when the internet got, got started 22, 23 years ago. <clears throat> and um, it was uh, started by a, a guy called um, Nick Schwimmer who then um, went to Tony Sheik, who led the company for the next 20 years. Tony was an investor back then. And so together they started this business. Uh, very humble beginnings, very innovative business. Nobody at the time was selling shoes online. So that um, that was the, the, the kind of the roots of Zappos. And then what really propelled Zappos to fame and, and propelled the, the brand was Tony Shea is really counterintuitive, uh, really brilliant business decisions, for example, to invest in customer service, to make that the differentiator, <clears throat> and to invest in company culture and to make that the differentiator. So Zappos, I would say, is known for that. Um, of course, it it has a it's it's a it's a huge, great business that was later acquired by Amazon. So now we're an Amazon subsidiary, but we're still an independent brand, and it's a beloved brand by both uh, customers and brands and vendors, our partners. So this is Zappos was built on this idea that you need to treat employees well, you need to treat your business partners well, you need to treat the community well. And um, it was built on this idea of uh, customer service. Tony Shea used to say, Zappos is a customer service company that happens to sell shoes. 
now our current ceo which which is a, a great uh, he carries the torch of the spirit uh, in a really awesome way Scott Schaefer, now he broadens this definition and says Zappos is a customer experience company that happens to sell shoes. I mean, just, you know, particularly, you know, like you say, all those years ago, selling online to have that mindset and mantra. I mean, nobody else was doing that. It was just all about e-commerce site, sell, sell, sell. And and I, I mean, I've read the, the Zappos story and, you know, I was involved in e-commerce associations in the US and in Europe, late 90s, and th th they were completely different. I mean, so different. If nobody, if anybody's listening and they haven't read the story, there's a few books out there that, that talk about those first years and, and just go and get them because it is absolutely fascinating. I love the fact that you're now within the Amazon family, but the brand's been kept separate. The, the company, I mean, that just for me, looking on just tells you it operates so uniquely, it needs to say as a standalone entity. I mean, do you feel that you're still an independent business, even though you know, the parent may be changed? Well, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it is a great fit to be, of course, uh, part of Amazon. Amazon is customer obsessed. Zappos is deeply customer centric. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, we are on Amazon's platforms that create a lot of uh, efficiencies and a lot of, um, you know, just just great business operation in general. But I think what what we just said that um, Zappos has built this connection with consumers and with brands and with vendors, right? That cannot be replaced easily. And um, and I think, I mean, it's it's um, it's one thing to you know to merge operations and the, under the hood stuff but but it's the the culture that uh, that that really adds a lot of value yeah. both right. to consumers and vendors and the community so so in that respect i think it makes sense yeah it is it is terrific now within the the family then just just give me an overview of you know your specific role where do you sit within within the business and which bit do you look after Right, Paul. So it was, I mean, just because Zappos is such a unique company. And when I joined, uh, shortly after I joined, Tony Shea started this self-organization experiment where, you know, there was no org chart anymore. There were no many <laughs> idols. I mean, it sounds outlandish, but it really taught me a lot about natural leadership. You don't need a title to lead. And, and, and the importance of organizing around the work, not around individuals and titles, right? which is the kind of the traditional way. So because of that, there were no strict silos and I was able to, you know, lead a team and do research across all functions, you know, the website, merchandising, uh, marketing, customer service, all of them. Um, that has carried through. I mean, now um, we have a, a brand new leadership team, if you will, <clears throat> we're more aligned with Amazon, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, but even that tradition of kind of very soft silos continues, a lot of collaboration. So now I, um, you know, all these years I was reporting to to tech and UX, which was in, in the technology side of things. Now I'm reporting to the CMO. Uh, but again, the, there's such great collaboration among all the functions that it doesn't feel like uh, silos. Mm. And it's a lot of fun because um, it, it really is a great lesson for many organizations to say that 
the silos and the separation only hurts the business really right um and it, it's usually driven by ego if you think about it deep the root cause is ego right i have my group i have my budget i'm gonna have my insights their mind they're gonna make me look good to to my higher ups they're mine right that only can um can hurt the business I, it is just you know a very very forward-thinking way of of operating but hey you can't knock the success success of it at all can you i mean it's been just just astronomical for many years so look you're and one of the reasons i was so keen to talk to you is i love some of the challenges that that you call out publicly and i know you know i've heard you sort of challenge the current day we say blind obsession people have with big data and artificial intelligence you know i love the term forget the customer see the person so come on what what's that all about where where does this come from right so it's uh the the phrase forget the customer see the person was inspired by um by um an italian designer roberto berganti who was collaborating with intuit back in the day and i um i heard him give a talk um during one of our intuit internal ux uh, conferences and in that conference uh Scott Cook, the founder of Intuit, who's a great proponent of customer centricity and customer research, he talked about, you know, understand the user, the user, right? Be a person who uses the software, study them, observe them, talk to them, all of that. And then uh, Roberto Verganti comes on and says, well, if you want to innovate radically, you have to forget the user. And what he meant was when you narrow down your view to the person using the software in that moment and you just study that you forget that that is a real person with with um, all all the baggage that comes with that and so step back understand the customer as a person and, and so i took that on and uh kind of have been running with it uh, and then it's so relevant now i mean it all these years big data was was so um, prevalent as a topic now with chat gbt it's it's got on steroids it's like it's got a shot of steroids <laughs> and now everybody's that's a feeding frenzy right now and i think that it's so much more important to bring the conversation back to the point that customers are people and we forget that um, and then you, when you forget that you start averaging humans and then you get to really absurd outcomes very quickly for example, I don't know if you've met a family with 2.4 children, for example. Yeah. Or if you've, um, I, I recommend this little experiment to everyone uh, that's listening. Get the oven going to a, to a like 400 degrees Fahrenheit, right? And uh, put your head in it and put your feet in a block of ice. Uh, and I bet you're going to feel a very comfortable average of 75 degrees. <laughs> Try that because... Because that's what we do when then we go to the spreadsheets and we average things and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna provide an average of 75 degrees, but some people are burning, some people are freezing. Right. And and the point is you cannot average human experience. Yeah, I, I mean it's I know last time you and I spoke, it was about, you know, if we could just increase the basket size or the average number of times somebody visited the store and made a purchase from. 2.1 to 2.2 you know what what does that what does that actually look like you know 
I've, ri- I've written down some of your quotes and, and uh, you know, maybe you'll be gracious to, to sort of credit them elsewhere. But, you know, shining the light on customers as individuals. I mean, this is just it's retailing basic 101, but it it feels like a lot of retailers have forgotten that and they just want this sort of catch all process. And I, and I guess, yeah, that's what you're saying, isn't it? Exactly, Paul. I mean, it's it's really apparent when you go to a store with with great customer service, and then the the person who approaches you does not say, you know what, the average person who walks in wants that. So I guess you want that as well. How is that going to go, right? No, they instead they look at you, they kind of start talking to you right away. They see if you want to be left alone, they leave you alone. If you want to inter- interact, they ask you a few questions, and then they would tailor the experience to you so that's the that's the model how close do we get to that online right and and again when i talk about focus on individuals i have to say that um, of course we with with businesses that have millions of customers you cannot do that one-on-one that's that's not possible you still have to average but i think you need to think of meaningful groupings of people. And then when you segment based on psychological characteristics, you're going to be much closer to getting into what they need versus their transactions. Because transactions are are what people do, but we don't know why they do this. And when you, when you have both, uh, when you combine both, then you can get closer to that personal connection. Yeah, and it's uh, that brings me on perfectly to the next one I wrote down, which was meaningful personalization, understand humans opposed to best guess recommendations. And we've all been to the retailer that's recommended, I don't know, you know, the random product that we've not needed for 20 years or, you know, a coupons arrive for something that bears no relevance at all. Uh, you know, you get to a certain age and go if you experience it but the marketing arrives for the uh, for the retirement home or you know <laughs> would you like to live in this quiet community because you're 50 something forgetting right. the fact my children are nine and ten I'm not going anywhere near a retirement home for any time soon I've got school fees followed by university fees to pay so you know it, it is getting beyond best guess recommendation is it and actually having something that you go Oh, yeah, maybe I would like to add that to the basket. But like you say, with millions of customers, is that all about good use of technology to make that happen? Do you think, Alex? That's the that's the key question, Paul. I think and you 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 gave a perfect, perfect example of this, right? From your experience. And it's absolutely right. And the best guest recommendation is a quote from Jeff Bezos, who in a very early um talk uh he basically said that we provide best guess recommendations and it's for some businesses um, it really works because you know i mean amazon is the everything store and and it's optimized to to serve gazillion people and for selling everything and based on that i mean they've hit like the the uh, perfect optimization and they have fantastic uh, logistics and everything and and they achieve the best price the best selection they have great customer service. Everybody's happy. That's fine. <clears throat> but um, I wouldn't call that, you know, high-touch personalization, really. Because uh, 
when you have a different model um, that, that you want to create this emotional connection and you want to make people feel appreciated and heard, you need something different. You need this deeper understanding of the customer. And then you have to ask different questions. Um, so one example is, I mean, for example, you, you let's take your example. If, if they knew that not only go by age and then make a bunch of assumptions, if they had asked a couple of other questions, then they'll know, right? Mm -hmm. And the same way with online retail, <clears throat> and that was an example given by a guest speaker that we had come to Zappos. He was heading uh, digital experiences for Walmart back uh, a few years ago. And he talked about this. He talked about when you sell grills for your backyard, right? They're, it's a big purchase. You buy them online. The best guest recommendation engine that's optimized for buying everything by everyone is going to recommend 10 more grills uh, just after you check out. Like you just bought a grill, why not buy 10 more? Here, here they are. Unless you're a collector of backyard grills, then it do doesn't make sense. Yeah. But if they ask you questions of why you buy the grill and say, okay, I'm renovating my backyard, I like to entertain people, then they're going to have much more meaningful suggestions. Well, do you have a big enough table? If you live in a cold climate, do you have the heaters on to, to entertain in the winter? On and on, right? And then you can, you can then they'll say, okay, they, they really know me, they get me, and you're much more likely to purchase. Yeah, it's funny enough, as you were saying that then, you purchase the grill or the sneakers or the t-shirt you're quite right how often do you then get recommended another 10 of whatever it is you've just purchased you're, you're absolutely right there is no connection is there to realize what the next purchase might be or sometimes you get the the cliched would you like the you know implements to help you you know turn the turn the meat on your grill not realizing that I've not bought meat for 10 years now you know sell me the tofu you know, spit, exactly right. and, and I might be interested. So, yeah, it, it there's a disconnect, isn't there? Exactly. You get it. And I think that's the, it's adding those extra couple of questions to get to know you. And another example I like to use is the, the, the human, deeply human practice of gift giving, right? That, that's a, that's a very applicable. So what do you give to someone who you don't know at all, right? You give them cash, go buy yourself some nice, right? One level above that is I kind of know that you like skiing, right? So I may, but I don't know anything more than that. So I may give you a gift card to a Rossignol, let's say, right? Online uh, to buy gloves or something. Like, I don't know what you need. But then um, let's say you want to give a gift to your significant other and you give them cash and say, honey, buy yourself something nice. How do you think that's going to go? Not very well. Right? Yeah. Or what do you give to someone who's extremely wealthy that can afford anything? You give them some cash, that's not going to go well. So for, for people who you know well, um, you know, meaningful gifts and, and sentimental and emotionally meaningful gifts. Your wife said something months ago and she forgot about it, but you remember, right? You get that for her then it's meaningful, right? So the question is, all these algorithms, they're not taking any of that input. So how can we expect them to produce the, the output? 
And, and do you think we are on the cusp of a step forward in terms of those recommendations getting better? I mean, clearly people are working on this, but from your where you're sat, uh, you know, with customers coming in, you know, do you think we're about to take a fundamental step forward in the relevance? Because, you know, I look at Amazon as an example, and it's frictionless to find what I want. Checkout's easy. Um, it turns up the next day. Yet 90% of other e-commerce sites are nowhere near that experience. And it's not like Amazon launched yesterday with this big step forward. They've been doing that for years and years and years, yet very few other e-com sites have actually managed to replicate the Amazon experience, which I still can never quite get my head around because right. it's not difficult in the sense of you can just see it. So, but for that next step forward, are we are we on the cusp of that? Do you think are we going to see personalization go to this whole new crazy level that's going to see cross sell upselling? Am I going to be able to put your name into Amazon and get a recommendation for you based on what it thinks you might like? So fantastic question, Paul. So I would say overall, I would say absolutely no, not because I don't see. I see fascination with the new technology, which is developed for technology's sake, right? And I don't see anybody thinking about those extra inputs, right? And when I see that, then I would have hope that it's going to take it to the next level. For some businesses, look, for some businesses, they're, they're just fine with best guest recommendations. Let's yeah. face it. I mean, th this is perfect. It's, it's okay. It's not, I'm not putting value judgment on best guest recommendations work. But if you claim to be creating this loyalty and deep, emo deeper emotional connections and highly meaningful personalized experiences, then it's a different story. So, like you said, Amazon—they're taking great steps towards that. Um, I mean, their scale makes them completely unique. Uh, for Zappos, that's much more high touch, right? Based on this customer service model personal emotional connection, that sort of thing. We've done our research, we've done our homework to realize that about half of our customers actually want to be anonymous. They want to be left alone. Oh, okay. That is the, for a variety of reasons. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's connected to trust. It's connected to trust in retail and business in general. It's been lost because of business practices overall, right? Um but uh, but half expect personalization and expect us to use their data responsibly and so on. So I, I would say meaningful personalization and respectful personalization has to start with that question. Is it okay to use your data? And, and for those that say no, I think they can be one over, one over, but I think we need to start providing value as soon as we start getting that data. Right away, they have to see a benefit for them versus just, the potential benefit for the marketing organization to keep sending them more and more emails. Yeah, it's interesting. Even a trusted brand like Zappos has got half of its customers wanting to to shop anonymously. That that's you know that's concerning if you like for uh, for the perception of retailers and, uh, and and what the industry's been doing with customers' data for for a number of years. I think isn't it? You know, sort of this. We have an email address. Let's just bombard it with everything that we've got, opposed to being a bit more relevant. Correct. I mean, this so one, look, we yeah. did that uh, research a few years ago, but uh, it's still don't, I mean, take those 
this is just ballpark, right? I mean, I'm saying, let's say some customers want presentations, some customers don't. That's that's the way to think about it. So look, you've got a really uh, challenging perspective on the norms, if you like, around you know seeing customers as as individuals. So um, come on, I happen to know that you've written down some of these perspectives and that it can be found out in the big wide world. So come on, Alex, give us give us the give us the 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 plug. <laughs> I, I want to hear what what's what 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 can people find that you've committed to the written page thank you paul no this is uh very generous of you to to ask that uh, yes we did uh, put uh, pen to paper me and uh, two friends that are co-authors of a book called um, forget the customer see the person which uh, the intent was to have both inspiration and some practical advice as, as to how to do it and uh, we created the book with uh, also the intent of it being uh, more of an experience than just uh, words on on paper. So uh, we, we had um, one of the co-authors is a great designer who you know created a lot of visuals that that make the point and make it more memorable. We hope, but yeah, this is um, we, we've uh, you know put our thoughts there, and it's uh, we self-published on Amazon. Well, they, there you go. Anybody listening? You you have permission to go and uh, go to Amazon and search for the book now and and add it to the collection. So no, you shouldn't be so so shy about uh, you know you, you generally have a, a a unique and different perspective uh, on the customer online and, uh, and and I would urge anybody to go and dig that out and have a look. So look, crystal ball moment. Glancing ahead to the rest of twenty three, maybe into twenty four. What do you think the the future of retail looks like what's going on what's your take on the world you know you've you've got a unique perspective so are you optimistic are you concerned share your thoughts for us thank you paul yeah i'm i'm optimistic i think uh, i cannot speak about you know the global climate necessarily i mean that we're we're seeing inflation we're seeing talk of recession that that's prevalent but at least the U.S. economy is resilient. A lot of economies are resilient, and uh, you know, I think the consumers are still optimistic. Um, what my hope is is that uh, again, retailers are going to consider the individual, uh, can consider that the full, you know, spectrum of, of people's lives when they they make their decisions, and uh, and they have to adapt as well in terms of um, in terms of you know meeting customers where they are pricing and so on of course logistical challenges persist i think that um, th- that will be there but again my hope is that this kind of adversity will lead to more innovation i really hope that uh, instead of just uh, hands uh, being wrung and so on right <laughs> you know, retailers and businesses in general get to innovating to solve those problems. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a, it's an exciting time, isn't it? And when you look at the number of businesses that actually started off in adversity and in challenging times, you know, it's an impressive list. So, you know, it's it's got to be a, a good opportunity to drive innovation. So final question, put the, the corporate world to one side for the minute. Personally, for you, What's coming next? Any more books? Any more 
retreats? What what are we what are we going to see from from you, Alex? I'm thinking I'm, I'm thinking about uh, the next book. Um, thinking the topic of trust in general, and uh, and I like also the idea of uh, of hospitality as a metaphor for customer experience. Kind of combining those two together. Um, pers- on a personal level, just looking for the weather to warm up a little bit. <laughs> So that we can uh, we can enjoy the the summer here in Vegas. Um, also hoping that um, China opens up for travel, so that I can do my annual pilgrimages to to Shaolin Temple. Uh, looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Pretty much it. That is super excited. New book, Chinese pilgrimage. Uh, you know, as well as uh, all the day to day stuff at Zappos as well. If if that's a oh that's only it. I think the rest of us probably need to up our game to be uh, to be on your level. Um, Alex, it's an absolute pleasure. I really do genuinely uh, love your perspective and your outlook on all things retail. So thank you very much indeed for taking the time to be my guest this week. And uh, I do hope we can actually get to meet in person at some point in the near future as well. Thank you, Paul. You've been very kind. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It was all mine. Thank you. Mm-hmm.